All right. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 1. A couple of quick little housekeeping things. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, I have this really weird thing that I like love teaching with whiteboards, and I've never got to do that in my sermon. So I'm going to do that this week. They're going to help me move this whiteboard up here. So, so Kelsey, if just throw, I, I'm going to kind of wander around a little bit because I just leave the camera on the whiteboard. I'm not important. We'll let the whiteboard be important t- today. Um, so, so we'll use that and kind of use that as, as an example. But uh, we're going to start in Matthew 1. We're going to go to Matthew 27, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so all of, all of those places within that. I know I have a 1,000 markers here and things like that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, have you guys ever had one of those moments uh, just where you kind of watch the news or you look around and you just realize how broken the world is? You ever had that? This has kind of been one of the things that it feels like in the last, uh, maybe even the last year, last few years, you just kind of feel the weight of that. Now, the real problem comes, have you ever had one of those moments when you look around and you see the brokenness of the world and have the realization that you kind of played a part in it? You guys ever have? So just start off the service, a little bit of confession time, right? That's a good way to start, start a service off. I have always been the type of person that uh, I want to get my money's worth, my, my value out of whatever it is I purchase. So whenever I was little, my, my mom, on Wednesday afternoons, one of the local gas stations would have 99 cent any sized ICs. And so we would go in and I would get like a bucket of icy because it was 99 cent. My sister would get like a medium icy and it would make me so angry because I was like, Shelby, you're paying the same price for that as I am for this bucket of icy. And she would be like, well, I can't drink a bucket of icy. I'm like, that's not the point. It's 99 cents. And so like that's been my philosophy of life um, all all the way through. So when I got to college, for those of you that are in college, you kind of know this because it's for some reason, a standard practice in, in modern college America. And that's if you live on campus, uh, you are required to buy a meal pass. You guys, college students, required to buy a meal pass. So the way we had it set up at, I went to a college called Union University, is you had to buy a 100 minimum meal pass, and it came out to be $1,100. So if you do the math, that's $11 a meal. That frustrated me. Because I was like, man, if I'm going to have to be paying $11 a meal... I'm going to get my money's worth out of this meal. So I started to try to play around and see what I can get away with. And so I, the line was somewhere I learned quickly between uh, they, they don't let you take a gallon of milk and try to fill up your gallon of milk in the milk thing. They, they will tell you not to do that. You're not allowed. Um, so I didn't get away with that. But no one said anything when you took the whole basket of breadsticks, dumped it in a to-go box, and left. So the line was somewhere in between there, and I would spend my, my spring semester freshman year playing with that line. And here's where I found the line to be. I found that uh, I, I had this big thermos, like coffee mug, and I could fill it up with soft-served ice cream. Just the whole thermos was soft-served ice cream. And there was one particular lunch lady that if she was there, she would always tell me not to do it. She would get mad at me. She would say, that's not what that machine's for. It's not intended for that. You only need to use cones. And so I developed this, this habit of I would look around when it was time to leave the lunchroom, and if she wasn't there, go fill my thermos up with some soft-served vanilla ice cream all the way to the top. So one day, I'm filling up my thermos with my soft-serve vanilla ice cream, and I get it to the top, and I go to turn the ice cream. You guys have seen soft-serve machines. you got the lever. I push the lever back up, and the soft-serve does not stop coming out of the ice cream machine. So I have a small panic attack. What do I do? What do I do? There's ice cream just keep coming out. By this point, it's overflowing out of the cup onto the thing. So I did what any rational person would do. 
I lowered my head and left the, the cafeteria just as, <laughs> as quickly as possible. I got out of that cafeteria. My roommate's like, Philip, where are you going? And I just left. Um, the next day, I, I got in, and I know, I know that that cafeteria lady, she had to have been the one that realized it and fixed it, and I got in the next day, and for the rest of the semester, there was an out-of-order sign on Union University's soft-serve ice cream machine. So if you went to Union University spring of 2011, that was me that ruined the ice cream machine. I've never told anybody that until just now. I'm really sorry that that was not my intention, but I was trying to get my $11 worth of my meal and I broke the ice cream machine in, in the, the process. So there, there it is. There's how I contributed to the brokenness of the, the world. And I'm being silly, right? But if I could just be honest for, for a few minutes, I was saved when I was 13. I felt God calling me to ministry at 14. I became the president of my high school's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I, I wanted to go into ministry. This was always kind of where I felt God leading me. And, and yet, somehow, I still managed to stumble onto ways to hurt people and say things I shouldn't say. I stumbled onto ways to be prideful and, and judgmental. I found ways through my own self-focused inward turning to contribute to the brokenness, brokenness of the world. And, and yeah, there was like an ice cream machine one time, but if I were being real, there are probably people out there that I've said things to, even in passing, that, that have stuck with them and haunted them because I've contributed to the brokenness of the world. Because I've said things and done things. And I think if we could just have a time, and we're not really going to do this, but if we could have a time where I was like, all right, guys, come on up. You're going to get in the microphone and confess. How have you contributed to the brokenness of the world? We would all have stories. We would all have things we could say of, of times that we made the bad decision, that we contributed to the devastation and the brokenness of the world through the pursuit of our own self-preservation and control and pride. And the Bible has a word for that. We call it sin. And the Bible says that that's impacted, infected every single human that's ever existed other than Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, the Bible gives a solution for that, and that is Jesus. The problem is sin, the, the solution is Jesus. And this is really, this is all we're talking about today. It's very basic, fundamental stuff. But I want to start us off in, in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll kind of build from, from there. So in Matthew 1, usually we read passages like this during Christmas, but I'm going to start with it in Easter. This is the angel telling, Matthew, or telling Joseph that he is going to, or Mary, is going to give birth to Jesus, and some instructions to go along with that. So chapter 1, verse 20 but after he had considered these things, this is after he considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what, she has been, uh, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then the angel tells Joseph this, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So here, here's the whiteboard. We get to have, have some fun with, with all of this. Um, and by the way, if you came last Tuesday night, you get to hear a little bit of a dose of repeat because we did this in the Tuesday night Bible study, but it's, it's some fun stuff. So, uh, Joseph, you're going you're gonna to name your son. What are, what's his son's name going to be? J Jesus. Let's see. I got to write really big because I know you don't always get to see in, in all of this. Now, so, so Jesus, is, is this how you would have uh, pronounced it? Is that the word? Pronunciated. There we go. No, pronounced it in, in Hebrew. Anybody know? In, in, yeah, in Hebrew, it is... Yeshua, yeah, Yeshua. So uh, that's because we transliterated like Latin and on and then got to English and it came out as Jesus. And, and in Spanish, it came out as Jesus. 
if when Mary called her son for dinner, she would have said, Yeshua, right? So, so Yeshua. So this, this is interesting because Yeshua is a compound Hebrew word. So let me, anybody, yeah. So we sing earlier, there's a word, hallelujah, right? Um, so hallel is the Hebrew to praise. Lu is a command, you praise, and it ends with yah. So if I praise ye the, hallelujah, praise ye the, Hallelujah. Yeah, okay, you get it. So, so what does Yah mean? Lord, or it's the word for Yahweh, shortened version of Yahweh. Same thing for Jesus' name, Yeshua. Yah is shortened for Yahweh. And anybody know what Shua is shortened for? Saves, yeah, saves. Here you go. So Jesus' name is Yahweh saves, God saves. So then I can pose this question, who, who is it that saves? Because this is what the angel says. You're naming him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So is it Jesus who saves? Is it Yahweh saves who saves? Or is it Yahweh who saves? Yes. <laughs> this is the answer. And, and this is what Matthew's claim is, right from the top of saying, you're going to name your son Jesus, Yahweh saves, and he is going to save his people from their sin. So Jesus comes and he lives and, and he lives this perfect life and he's taken to the cross. And if you jump all the way over to Matthew 27, in Matthew 27, as Jesus is being crucified on, on the cross, it says this in verse 39, those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. And I want to go to this passage and just kind of camp there, because I want to point out a very tragic irony that's at play at, at the cross. What does Jesus' name mean? Yahweh saves, right? Now Jesus is hanging on the cross, and what are the people telling him? Save yourself. Do you see the irony? They have totally missed that the one that came to save them is dying for them. And instead, they're flipping it over and saying, save yourself. But Jesus didn't come to save himself. He didn't come to save what he in his own body was for. He came to save the world by giving up himself. So Yahweh saves does exactly that. He saves. This is what we mean when we say Jesus died for your sins. But I think if we took just a few moments and thought about that, like we usually, if we run in Christian circles or modern day America, we miss the ridiculousness of that claim. Because you guys have probably all heard, Jesus died for your sins. Anybody heard that phrase, right? We've all heard, Jesus died for your sins. But let me kind of back that up and put that in a perception of what we're really saying. Because what that is claiming to say is the Roman execution of a Jewish carpenter turned rabbi 2,000 years ago has a direct impact on me and you in present-day Portales, New Mexico. That's weird. Try to describe that to someone that doesn't live in a Christian circle, okay? Go to somebody and say, uh, excuse me, sir, have you, uh, you have a few minutes to talk about Giles Corey? 
Giles Corey was wrongfully executed in the Salem witch trials on September 19th of 1692. And they would say, what does this have anything to do with me? Right? This doesn't matter. But yet when we go and we say, hey, this guy who lived 2,000 years ago was executed and it matters to you, we kind of just have normalized that so much. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. And if I was just being honest with you, like, it, it doesn't. So how do we make sense of this whole thing? How do we make sense of the claim that a Jewish man's execution 2,000 years ago holds significance to your life right now? And I think it all starts with understanding our role in breaking ice cream machines. Or more to say, our role in contributing to the brokenness of the world. Because this is where Jesus starts. Because if you go back and you read the teachings of Jesus, uh, you'll find that Jesus is convinced that the chief need of humanity is not some better form of government. The chief need of humanity is not a more rigorous education system. It's not a new philosophy. But Jesus is convinced the chief need of humanity is new hearts. Because the root cause of the mess of this world is entrenched within each and every one of us. It's deeply ingrained into our hearts. And Jesus' teachings make this clear. He's convinced that every human heart is broken, that we all turn inward and we act selfishly and we create rifts and divisions between individuals and between families and churches and ethnic groups and nations and even within families and nations and all of this is happening because we are all broken. And until we start there, we can never make sense of the claim Jesus came to save you. So here's, here's what I want to do. I just want to take a few moments and I want to see if I can help you kind of visualize this a, a little bit. So let's say, um, and we'll be generous, we'll be really generous. Let's say I sin one, one per, once per day. I just make one, one mistake a day. Um, I, I make one reaction of anger, one, I didn't get the respect I wanted, and so I turned around and I said something or did something I shouldn't have. I downplayed someone else to upplay myself, one, one sin a day. Anybody else in here feel like that's pretty gracious to say, let's say I sin once a day, yeah. Now let's say everyone in this room, we all sin one, one time a day, right? Like just, just once a day. That's not that bad, right? One, one single sin, uh, how, how many people are there in the world? Do you, anybody know? 7.9 billion is the current most recent number that we have. So uh, I have this cool contraption of three markers band-aided or a, uh, why did I say the word band-aid? Rubber banded together. So uh, because I, I thought if I can get 10, 10 little X's here uh, every second, uh, it would only take me 25 years to mark off one day of human sin, right? Like, this is the world we live in. One person to say one thing, to go one place, to cast out or yell at one other person, to react out of lying and deceit, to take advantage of, to steal, kill, destroy, whatever sin you want to call it, we have all contributed to this brokenness of this world. Do you agree with me? And if we were being honest... As much as we love, as much as we love to think that our little sin exists up here and it really doesn't affect anybody because my sin's good and I can justify it. We, we know better. 
Because we know that, that this father's sin right here, he gets angry one night and verbally berates his wife and children that it's going to go and it's going to set into them and impact and influence them. And then their son is going to go and they're going to say something to a kid at school and the wife is going to go and be mean to her Starbucks barista and like this is the world we, we live in. And we want to complicate that even more because here's what we got now that we have going on. One, one person gets into power and he convinces all of these people that these people over here are evil. And so we need to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then we get this nation and group of people that dislike this nation and group of people. And this ethnicity doesn't like this ethnicity. And welcome to the world. Like, it's a good thing fishing's fun, because we've sure made a mess of everything else. Do you guys ever look at the world and feel this way? Because I do. And I think it only takes one, one few second of watching news programs, one few moment of thinking about this, that we begin to realize, man, this is a broken place, and it's far more than ice cream machines. And we can come to this point that, that we would like to jump through 10-foot hoops and we'd say, yeah, but it's their fault. And we'll cast the blame on corporations or politicians or whoever we can throw blame at. And yet at the same time, I think if we were honest, we all know we've contributed to this web. And we're all equally as stuck in it. Equally as broken. Because nothing will change the reality that this is my fault. This is your fault. Because I'm trapped and broken in the same web of sin that you are because we have all taken advantage of and hurt. We have all contributed to this mess. Our sin has corrupted and corroded God's perfect creation. And no matter how much we try to distract ourselves from it, it's a weight that just sits on our reality. And the question comes barreling in and screaming, then how do we fix it? And every single person and philosophy has tried to come up with solutions. Maybe we try a new form of government. Maybe if we can get the right leaders in. Maybe if this philosophy matters, whatever it might be. And every single time someone has come up with an answer, guess what's happened? They've just contributed to the mess more. Welcome to the web of sin and destruction. Do you ever feel that weight? Because I do. Left wondering, what is the solution? How do we solve this? How do we figure this out? So here's what we're going to do. This is, not, this is not the invitation, but I just want to take a few minutes, and I want to reflect on, on this, because we've made a mess of this world. So we're going to do a, a song written by a guy named Andrew Peterson, uh, so I'm going to have some people come up and, and help me with this, but it's, it's a call and response song. And so what it's doing is it's just going to ask the question, do you believe the world is broken? And then the response is, we, we do. And we'll keep asking that and responding. And if you know the song, respond with us, sing, sing with us, help us out. And then it's going to go in and it's going to quote Revelation and say, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? And I just want to take some time to prayerfully reflect on that reality.
So it's with that, although I am curious. Heard pretty well. But I go to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As Paul reflects on this very thing, and he says, Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then Paul says this, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, this is the declaration that God was not satisfied to leave the world a mess. That God was not satisfied to say, humanity's messed up, I'll leave them in their sin and go start a new project. But God has intentional from day one that he was going to intervene. That he was going to do something to solve this problem. And so the perfect creator of the world stepped into the web of sin himself. He contributed nothing to it. But taking on flesh, he subjected himself to it all. Our own corruption, our own brokenness. And he lived his life so, so rooted in that love of God that he had never had any need to act out of insecurity or, or fear. He never once says something sinful or, or lashes out in selfish sin. Instead, everywhere he goes... Everywhere he goes, he's absorbing people's brokenness onto himself, healing them, forgiving them, restoring them. And all of this leads to the supreme act of taking on the mess himself. It all leads to 2 Corinthians 5.21. That Jesus is the solution. And he's the solution because he did not know sin. He, he never once himself contributed in any sort to the broken web that is our own hearts. And yet he became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin, that we may be made righteous. So why does the execution of a Jewish teacher 2,000 years ago matter to us today? Because it's in that perfection that Jesus trades in his perfection and becomes our sin. And what does our sin do to him? It's the same thing sin has done since the fall of Adam and Eve. It kills him. The execution of Jesus 2,000 years ago matters to us and to everyone in this world because every one of us holds a share in the purpose of that execution because we're all guilty. This is where Easter comes into the story. That Jesus, killed by our sin, does not allow that to be the end. Instead, he fights back, overcomes, conquers, and offers a foretaste of what is to come. So here is the invitation. Jesus is saying, the world is broken. 
but I have become the brokenness that you might have access to live right here. And the perfection that I've offered. The invitation is that rather than marking your sin on the world, you would come in and say, I need the salvation of the Father and the Son who died for me. I need access to the Spirit who lives within me. And it all happens right there in the purity that Jesus sets free for us. So here's your invitation. It's nothing new. But you're invited to come live as Jesus lived. You're invited to come live life as God intended in his perfect creation. You're invited to be saved by Jesus, by Yahweh saves himself. You're He's the only one worthy of conquering that darkness, the only one who promised and foretold through the prophets and the king, the only one to live a perfect life and then offer you the exact same life, a new heart. You're invited to live in that. So we celebrate Easter not because of this tradition thing of, Easter's weird anyways, right? It's like the, some full moon sun after We don't celebrate Easter because of those types of traditions or anything like that. We celebrate Easter because the crucifixion and resurrection is the promise that I now have access to a new life that has overcome the web of sin and destruction. That has offered renewal to me. That has brought me to access to new life, new freedom, new purpose through the forgiveness of my sin. See, I celebrate Easter because I've broken far more than the ice cream machine. And left to my own demise, I will continue breaking everything I touch. I will break my relationships. I will break my family. I will break the ones I love because the sin within my heart will outflow and I need something to rewrite that. The only solution, the only promise is the cross. And there's, there's one more promise that I want to go, and this is where we'll kind of close out. Jesus has already provided the full forgiveness of sin. It is clean, white as snow, totally forgiven. You have access right here, right now to come live in this. But he's made another promise. That one day he's, he's going to return, and when he returns... There's nothing more to be in this. That he will cast out sin and defeat once and for all. That he will eliminate the web of evil that we have written onto this world. That he will destroy sin for once and all time. It's kind of like theologically imperative that I get all of this cleaned off. This is the hope that we have. This is the renewal that Jesus has come to offer. That you can live right here, right now, in the new life, in the forgiveness of sin. And your invitation is here for that, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. But with it, he brings this other promise that there is a day coming that he will clean the slate once and for all. The web of sin will be cast out. And we'll live in new life. Last week I ended my, uh, with, with our Easter musical talking about um, 
I told you I didn't remember his name. His name is Vin- Victor Frankl. He wrote a little book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, but if you weren't here, he, he was an Austrian that had just finished his PhD in psychology right before Nazi Germany came in and overtook Austria and took him and his new wife and his family and threw them into concentration camps. Uh, and the only people that he knew to survive were him and his sisters. Uh, and he wrote this book about what it was like. And through this concentration camp, when he would get home in the evenings or to, to the little bunkhouse that they were in, uh, after working all day, he would take some time and just talk with the other people, the other captives, and uh, would, would do some psychology with them and work on what is it. And what he found was the ones who survived were the ones who held into an untouchable hope. He tells stories about guys that, uh, there was one guy in particular that he says he was, he was convinced that the war was only going to last six months, and, and by the time the six months were up, it would all be over with, and they would all go home, and after that first six months kind of rolled around and went, it was the day after that guy predicted he came down with a fever and died just days later, because his hope got grasped and taken away from him. So what he found is what humanity needs is untangible, untakeable hopes, So he said hope in things like to bake bread again or to play instruments again. And he got so close, and I'm not sure he got all the way there, but he leads us right up to say hope in the one thing that is unconquerable. That's this. Because no matter what the news says today, no matter what's going on on the other side of the world, no matter what happens in your own household, nothing stops this from happening. Nothing stops this from happening. The foretaste has already been that Jesus came, lived in the midst of it, died and resurrected, clearing it, showing that there's a new way to life, that you can come and live in that right now. And the day is coming, that he will come again and wipe out sin once and for all. And the question is, if you're not going to trust him with new life now, why would you want to trust him then? Maybe you already know this, and today's just a good day to come worship and respond and live in it. We're going to do that, just have a time of reflection and response. And maybe you don't know that, and I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you a little bit more about it. But this is how we reflect and celebrate that the one who knew no sin became sin, that we might become his righteousness. Father God, we're thankful for, for today, that you would take on sin for us, that you would conquer the grave, because we sure have made a mess of the place. So God, I pray that right here, right now, you would just speak loudly in this room to remind us of that unconquerable hope that you have come and died and resurrected, that you have infiltrated the web of sin and darkness and conquered it through the death and resurrection, and that you've given us access to that new life. You were the one that was worthy. And God, that you're coming again, let us as First Baptists find hope in this reality Let us find renewal in the new hearts given by the gospel, and let us be a church that lives knowing that this is a reality. And let it drive us to go tell this world that desperately needs. It's in Christ's name we pray.